Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. When I was 13, I played football for the Baby Falcons, now the Knoxville Falcons, our midget team. And we had won the city championship. And we're about to play a bowl game against a team from Barberville, Kentucky. We were told before they came down here that they were tri-state champions, meaning they had beaten a team from... Barberville is, is in the tip of... southeastern tip of Kentucky, close to the Virginia state line and the Tennessee state line. And they had beaten a team from Virginia and they had come down into Tennessee and beaten a team from Johnson City. So that made them trial state champions, they said. Well, we got ready to play the game. Uh, they unloaded from the bus. Looked like there's 100 kids on our team if there was one. We were probably 22 strong, if that. And it was a little intimidating because the bus had tri-state champions on the side of it. All their, all their moms and dads came down with cars, bumper stickers, tri-state champions on them. So here we were, you know, scruffy little bunch, trying to get out there and play warm-up, warm-up to play the game. We're doing warm-ups. <clears throat> started getting darker and darker. Clouds started rolling in. And right about kickoff time, it poured the rain. We were playing at Fulton on, on the grass, on the old grass field. Poured the rain, just poured and poured. I had... Uh, earlier that week, broken his pinky finger on my hand. Played quarterback for our team and wasn't able to play because I couldn't take a snap. They, they bound up this in, in a splint and bound up a huge ace bandage around, around these fingers all the way around my hand and wrist. And by about the second quarter, so everybody on our team, you can't even see the numbers. On, on, we had on our white uniforms and just is a mud bowl. I mean, it's just mud boys. It was probably four or five fumbles uh, that night. And the guy that was playing backup quarterback in, in my place, we just had about three or four pass plays as it was. Couldn't throw the ball at all, so it was, you know, muck, 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 and punt. Muck, 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 and punt on both, on both sides. Zero, zero. I'm standing over on the side on the fourth quarter. There's about two minutes left in the game, and I'm the only clean guy on the team. I told Coach, I said, Coach, please put me in the game. He said, Son, you can't take a snap. I said, Put me in at fullback or anywhere. I'll, I'll block, you know, for some. Okay, running at fullback. So I, I, he told me the play to run. <clears throat> I didn't call that play. I called the play for me. The play was for me to block and hand the ball off to the tailback going through the two hole, which is right on the right hand side of the center. I called the play coming to the fullback. So he hands me the ball, <clears throat> and it was as if the Red Sea parted, <laughs> and you could drive in a Mack truck, you know, all the way, all way through. So all I could see was end zone. So I, I, I could take the ball straight down the field in the end zone, score a touchdown, hand the ball to the official, <clears throat> and our team's running down. Horns are honking because people have gotten back in their cars by that point. Horns are honking. 
our, our team gathers around me in the end zone and said, somebody knocked me down. I just got in the game to get dirty. Somebody knocked me down. <laughs> so they did. And I happened to roll to get good and dirty after they knocked me down. Uh, you know, after, after the rain started coming and it was a mud bowl, nobody cared who was tri-state champions. Nobody cared who, who, who won or lost. We just had fun, 13-year-old kids out there having fun in the mud, basically. Uh, and it wasn't that big a deal that we won or lost. We did, we did win because that was the only score. But it was a, it was a memorable time. And, and I do remember the pregame being intimidated and feeling helpless that I could do nothing to, to help my team. But um, intimidation uh, has a way of grabbing us by the throat sometimes and keeping us down and intimidated and in that state for sometimes decades, depending on what, what, what the intimidation is about, who it's from, what situations has, has brought it on. And uh, it, it's important for believers to learn to see that coming and to see how and when and where to say no to that kind of intimidation. The enemy is faithful to intimidate and to use anything and everything and anyone and everyone that he can, and he will do that regularly. And we need to see him coming and see how to prepare for that. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 14 together. And then come back and see what we can glean from this text. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit, of God, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And to this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. What you've heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Saying no to temptation, I think, has to do with four things we want to glean from this text today. The first is this. Saying no to intimidation is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit, look at verse 7 again. It says, for the Spirit God gave us does not, watch this, make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Spirit does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So if our power comes from the Holy Spirit, then the more dependent I am on my own intellect... My own, my own experience, my own talent, my own resources, the more I'm setting myself up for failure. So how do I know if I'm facing the intimidation of Satan or, or this pagan culture in my own strength? Well, it's, it's this. I ask myself, how timid am I when facing an opportunity to stand on or for a biblical principle? How timid I am shows me how, how dependent I am on myself or on the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is not a source of, of timidity or fear we are. And so if we are intimidated and, and, uh, and, and timid from standing for that truth, we're leaning on our own strength and on our own, our own abilities. 
We can't have it both ways. We're either in, in and on, under, under the power of the Holy Spirit or in and under our own power. Can't walk in both places. Uh, electric cars are all the rage now. Perhaps uh, some of you have some or one or more, I don't know. But electric cars have a charge distance and also have a shelf life. They'll just run so far on the charge. You got to ch plug, plug them back up, charge them back up. And that battery is just going to last so long and take so many charges to, to where you're going to have to replace that, that battery in the electric car eventually. So it's, there, there's, there's limitations to it. What he's saying here in these verses is the Holy Spirit is an inexhaustible source of power for you. Whenever and wherever we need it, he is there because saying no to intimidation is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, saying no to intimidation will require some suffering. It's going to require some suffering. Look at verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. But what's this? Join me in suffering for the gospel, for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Notice here that Paul says he and Timothy are not suffering because they're part of the body. They're part of the church. They're suffering because of the gospel. So it's not their affiliation with the body of Christ or, or, or this connection with, with a, ch a church that's doing it for them. They're suffering because their connection with the person of Jesus rather than the body of Christ. The inference there then is as long as we keep the gospel inside these four walls, there's probably going to be very little suffering in our life. Suffering starts to come when we get outside these four walls. When we start to penetrate a culture that is lost and confused and running from God as fast as it can, that's where we're going to, 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 to start to prompt some suffering. So we have to ask and answer this question, is the suffering worth it? Am I getting it out of this room, getting the gospel out of this room and into a culture, into into the marketplace, into, into the bank, at the grocery store, at the ball field, is the suffering that comes from telling that story and getting the gospel into those places worth it? You have to decide that for yourself. But Romans 8, 17 and 18 says this about suffering. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So in essence, he's saying the glory of God is what's awaiting those who are willing to walk into a place of suffering. It is the glory of God waiting there for us. To suffer for his name is to suffer for the sake of the gospel and, and glory awaits. Uh, but saying no to intimidation will require some suffering. Thirdly, not only is saying no to intimidation done in the power of the Holy Spirit and will require some suffering, but thirdly, saying no sets aside the fear of conscience, consequence. Sets aside the fear of consequence. Look at verse 10. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our, our Savior Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Our Savior Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality through the gospel. As long as we see ourselves, friends, through a finite, human, carnal, fleshly lens we're going to be more easily intimidated than if we see ourselves as eternal beings. When we can learn to live in light of the fact that because Jesus came up out of the grave, we will too. We, we, we will see ourselves as, as eternal beings and, and as being partakers of him who has, as he says in this verse, destroyed death on his behalf, yes, but for, our, for us as well, on our behalf as well. 
So the death is no longer a threat. And Satan with his pagan culture, we've got to ask, what can they do to me that's greater than that? What, what, what can Satan or this pagan culture do to me that's greater than death? Listen to how, how the psalmist puts that in Psalm 56. It says, In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I will trust and not be afraid. What can man do to me? I'm under, under vows to you, O God. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. What can man do to me? He asked in this verse. Uh, we're, we may be referred to as in derogatory ways as those who belong to Jesus as Bible thumpers or <clears throat> the radical religious right or uh, evangelical zealots or something else, whatever might come to your mind. I encourage you when, when those, those kind of terminology and phrases and, and names are used, Thank them for the compliment and then redirect them away from you back to the gospel. That's the wisest thing you can do. Is thank them for the compliment, but redirect them to, back to the gospel and away from you. That's, that's why those kind of attacks come anyway is because folks don't want, can't and don't want to deal with the truth of the gospel, so they'd rather attack you. Go ahead and thank them for the compliment and redirect them back to the, the truth of what the gospel is to refocus their attention. Uh, the gospel is the most inclusive plan with the most exclusive consequences that there is. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not die, perish. But uh, that, that, that whosoever is a broad, wide road, my friend. Whosoever includes folks like Osama bin Laden, it includes folks like Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson. Whosoever means whosoever. And you and me as well. You fill in the blank of whoever is the most unsavable person, and that means them as well. That whosoever is a broad, broad place. It, it is an inclusive gospel, yet has exclusive consequences because if, if we reject it, uh, we will not spend eternity in, in, in a real place called heaven. And I believe Jesus is coming soon. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Uh, we'll spend eternity in, in a real place called, that the Bible mentions called hell. And the description of that place is a place where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Ever. Well, if heaven is as real as you think it is, and it is, hell is just a real place. And that exclusivity is, is the dividing line between heaven and hell for us, is how we, how we deal with and respond to the gospel. It's an all-inclusive gospel. Includes anybody you can imagine. But rejecting him is an exclusive consequence in, in that same gospel. And that's, what, that's why you and I are, if you know him, you can set, a, set aside the fear of that consequence. If you don't, you need to come to know him today. Saying no to intimidation is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it requires some suffering. It allows us to set aside the fear of consequence. Finally, saying no requires guarding the truth of God's word. It requires guarding the truth of God's word. Look at 13 and 14 with me. <clears throat> what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
Guard the good deposit and trust in you. This good deposit Paul's talking about is the scripture itself. It's what he refers to in verse 13, having soundly taught it. Uh, he, he mentions God's ability to, to guard the eternal soul in verse 12 and juxtaposes that with our need to be guardians of the scripture in verses 13 and 14, holding as tightly to the, to, as we can to the word as, as tightly as God does to your salvation and mine as tightly as he does to your soul and the mind. We're to guard it, verse 14 says, with the help of the Holy Spirit. So, and here are these two bookends that we started <clears throat> with, the Holy Spirit being, being our source of power initially and our source of sustenance that sustains us here in this verse. Uh, it's, the, it's, it's the vehicle that, that to, to both of those ends, to power and, and, and to sustenance. So uh, if, if, that's, if that's true, and it is, what he, the vehicle he uses to, to, to do that is the Word of God. He uses the Word to empower us, to charge our batteries, to sustain us when the gospel journey gets hard and gets harder and we have no strength to navigate that, that journey on our own. Uh, you and I are in a my truth culture. Uh, in fact, I'm hearing that phrase more and more. It's, it's permeating every college campus in America just about. That truth is situationally defined by you in the moment, for the moment. That, that, that my truth culture is, 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 as I say, permeating our world. Well, folks who deal in, in, in a my truth culture and with a, with a my truth mentality are, have struggled with dealing with absolute truth. And absolute truth is what this book contains is what we have been reading today, this morning. And it contains the gospel of Jesus, as I said, that's all inclusive, but yet with exclusive consequence. Uh, it's, and, and that's exactly why, my friend, the scripture is under attack. It's why we need to guard it, feed on it, memorize it, put feet to it, and walk it outside the doors of this building. Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen the book of Eli. It's a movie that came out several years ago. It's... Uh, has some language in it and, and, some, and some violence in it, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't let young kids see it if I were you, but if you ever want to get a chance to watch it, it it's, it's a telling uh, film about Denzel Washington who finds himself in a post-apocalyptic world and navigating from the, from the East Coast to the West Coast with the only copy of the Scripture that exists. And it details the journey there and everybody trying to get that, that from him because it's the only thing that exists and they're, they're, they're wanting it for, for the monetary value of it. But he wants to get it to the West Coast to reproduce it and for it to be printed again. And the world is just in ruins. This country's in ruins as he navigates his way across the, the U.S. Gets there and <clears throat> he's carried a backpack with him the whole way. You're assuming the scripture's in the backpack. Don't want to be a spoiler for you. It'd it, be interesting for you to watch anyway. But as he gets to the West Coast, we're expecting there, there are scribes there ready to scribe to write down what the, what the scripture says. And we're expecting, or I was expecting him to pull the scripture out of the backpack and begin to read it for him. He doesn't. He gets a bath, sits down, cleans himself up. The scribe is sitting at the table. He says, In the beginning, His fear of not being able to make that journey with the scripture intact caused him to memorize the entire scripture. 
what an incredible book this is, my friend. If, if we'll feed on it, uh, walk it out, live it out, put it, put it to the test, it, it, it will um, it'll win every time. I think one of the things the enemy has used the pandemic and its aftermath to produce has been an intimidated, neutered, even fearful body of Christ that's become isolated and cautious rather than bold and contagious. I believe that. In the, in the 1950s, there was a decade where throngs of people came to faith in Jesus. The 1960s turned into a decade of cultural rebellion and spiritual kingdom complacency. There was significant revival in the late 70s and early 80s. And honestly, culturally speaking at least, uh, the church has been in decline ever since those days. I don't know what 2024 and the remainder of the 20s have in store, but what I'm praying is the body of Christ lives more boldly, loves more deeply, and shares more readily the hope that's in us in Jesus than ever before. Why? Because I believe he's coming soon. So I'm going to ask you to join me. Uh, will you join me in praying for intimidation to become a thing of the past? Certainly in this place and with this body. And I hope it spreads from this body to other bodies as we rub shoulders with other believers that worship in other places. Uh, and I'm not blaming that all on the pandemic. Don't hear all of that. But I believe the enemy's used circumstances in the last several years to choke us as believers. And it's high time we spit in his eye and say no more. I'm going to I'm going to be a ready voice, a ready vehicle for the gospel, and that it penetrates my circle of friends, my, my, the culture around me. Uh, and I want to encourage you to join me in that, if you will. Let's pray. Father, would you do in us today something you can do through us tomorrow? Would you make us less intimidated by what we don't know, by who we don't know, by what we can't see, by what we don't understand? Make us less fearful, less intimidated, and more bold with the truth of the gospel because we've experienced it. We know the change it can bring. We know how revolutionary it can be because we know it. Yet we oftentimes keep it to ourselves, keep it wrapped up real neatly in a package. It's okay that we let it out here in this room on Sunday morning because it's a safe place. But it's not safe out there on Monday and Tuesday. Because the enemy is the prince of the power of the air, as the scripture describes him. And so he's coming after us. He, whether it's in the media or on college campuses and schools, in our culture, in Hollywood. He comes after us to ridicule us, to do one thing, to keep us quiet, to shut our mouths. Would we in 2024 and the years that remain before you're coming again, would we live more bold, contagious lives? Would we live more instilled by, by the power of your Holy Spirit to speak the truth of your word, to get the gospel into our culture, 
would we be less intimidated and more charged and more powerful because we know who, who as Paul said, we know who's we, who, who we have believed and it can entrust it to him against the, that, that day, that day that he returns. So if your returning is, is imminent, if it's near, and I believe that it is, would you charge us with the importance of getting the gospel to a world that is lost? Perhaps even friends and family that we know of that's lost. Would, would intimidation be a thing of the past as we move forward? And we, we, we as, as I say, live more boldly, love more deeply, and share more readily the hope we have. Because he is the only hope. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.